So we started a series and we just called it Do Something. Do Something. And we kind of laid out a kind of a general principle of what that looks like. And last week we talked about worship and we just talked about a lady who just worshiped Jesus. She just got down on her hands and knees and on her face before God and just worshiped Jesus. And what I heard this morning was so beautiful because I heard voices ringing out. I I believe that we were more in tune with the Holy Spirit this morning as we were worshiping. I could just sense it and I could hear it with my own ears just how we were worshiping this morning. I am so incredibly thankful for that. Thank you for being in tune with the Holy Spirit this morning and Thank you for not being held back and not worrying about what anybody else thinks. Just letting the, the power of God rule and reign in your life and just allowing yourself to disconnect from the, from the world for just a moment while you just praise Jesus. Thank you for that. So last week we said, as we do something, one of the things that we should do is we should worship. I think that we, we need to get back to the basics sometimes about what it is that we're supposed to do. We say, do something. What are we supposed to do? Okay, let's worship. So I started thinking about, okay, we're going to get back to basics. Okay, all right, God, tell me. If we're going to get back to the basics, what are we supposed to do? What one word should permeate my life. As I live for you, as I, as I try my best to follow you, what word should, should just radiate from my life? What, what should that look like? It was a single word, and it was love. Love. What, what, do something. In 2019, what am I supposed to do? God, what am I supposed to do? Okay, worship, yes. Love, yes. Love. What does that look like? So sometimes, yeah, I mean, we, we talk about all the time we're supposed to love Jesus, and, and yes, we are indeed to love Jesus. And we love Jesus by, by we worship him and we, we connect with him through his Holy Spirit and, and we read his word and, and all of those kinds of things are, are absolutely true. And that's how we love Jesus. But Jesus says, they'll know you're my disciples by how you love one another. And the physical manifestation of your love for Jesus is going to be how you love other people. That's how people are going to be able to see it in you is how you love other people. Back in 2013, I'm going to tell you a story real quick. Back in 2013, I was a college pastor, and I was just some guy teaching a bunch of 20-something-year-olds about Jesus, doing my best. I mean, we were just rambling through the Bible, doing the best we knew how to do to try to go and talk about Jesus. That's all we were doing, right? We were having worship services, and, and Kayla was leading those, and I mean, it was, it was great. We were just having a good time, and, and God impressed upon my heart. We weren't in a place where we were doing a lot of international missions and God impressed upon my heart that we were supposed to go internationally, go somewhere else. I said, okay, we're going to go. Where are we supposed to go? I didn't have a clue. <laughs> well, we kind of figured out we wanted to go to a third world country. Well, immediately you think, well, we should go to Africa if we want to go to a third world country. Well, college students are broke. I don't know if you know that or not, but they don't have any money. When I say they don't have any money, they don't have any money, okay? So we say, all right, so we can't go to Africa because that's about $3,000 to go on a mission trip to Africa. Where can we go? And God kind of showed me that there's a third world country 
within just a short plane ride of the United States of America, and that's a place called Haiti. So I started doing some research, and we started looking around at some places and when people that go to Haiti, and we started communicating with some people, and I started exchanging emails, and we started looking around, and we found an orphanage where we could go, and it was on the south side of Haiti, and, and we could go there. It was fairly secure there. There's a lot of civil unrest in Haiti. It's, it's, it's a very uh, dangerous place in certain places. At certain times in Haiti, it's a very dangerous place to be, and so we decided we would go to the south side of Haiti and go and partner with uh, an orphanage down there, and we had on our hearts and on our minds that we are to, uh, the pure and undefiled religion before God is to, to care for the orphans and widows and remain unstained from the world, right? So that's the scripture that was on our minds as we were going to Haiti. So we got orphans on our mind. All right, that's where we're going. We're going to care for orphans. We're going to love some orphans. We're going to share the gospel, and we're going to love some orphans. So we go to this orphanage, right? And we go there, and we show up, and, and like, look, I'm terrified because I got like about 15 teenagers, and they... Teenagers, I'm sorry, they're like in their 20s. Some of them are teenagers, but they're in their 20s. And, and like, I'm afraid I'm going to come home without one. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that not all of them are going to come back with me, you know? And so I'm just, most of the time, I'm just worried about making sure they get back with me. And we get there, and, and we're going through the airport and all this craziness and all this kind of stuff, and we finally get down there. And so we get there, and we're talking to the, the mission house, and we're talking about what we're going to be doing for the week. And, and we assume that, that as as missionaries, we're going to go there and they're going to kind of have things laid out for what we're going to be doing that week. Well, we get there and they go, all right, what do you guys want to do? And we said, what? <laughs> they said, well, we can take you to some schools and you can see some kids there and what else do you want to do? And so basically it was up to us to determine what our mission trip was going to be. And we were a little bit confused. Uh, we kind of expected things to be laid out for us, exactly what we were going to do. We expected to have an agenda as we went down there, but that's not the way things worked out. We actually dug up, we had brought along some Bible study materials, and we had some crayons, and what we did is we taught Sunday school in these, in these uh, schools that we were able to go into, and we taught them about Jesus. That's what we ended up doing. But we had this extra time, and we were like, what are we going to do with this extra time? That's great that we can do that in the schools, but we've got a lot of extra time. What can we do there? And I said, we, we, we were there, and we were in our group, and it was, this was on Saturday, and I said, we're, we're going to church tomorrow. Church in Haiti is very different than church here. I said, we're going to church tomorrow, and I believe with all my heart that God's going to reveal to us what we're going to be doing on this mission trip, what it is that we're supposed to be doing. So we get ready, and we go to church. And people in Haiti, I'll be honest with you, they get dressed up for church. They really do. Now, I will tell you that, that the church we went to, it, it had walls made of tarps, and it had benches that were made out of, of pallets, recycled pallets, but they were dressed up to the best of their ability. And that's the way they went to church. It was 150 degrees inside the church, and there was no wind moving because they had it covered in tarps. And that's just, I mean, there was 200% humidity inside this building, right? I mean, it was hot. And they had asked us on the way there. They said, hey, you've got an opportunity here. Is there anybody that would like to preach at, at the Haitian church? And I said, sign me up, man. I, you know, like this is an opportunity I'm not going to pass up. And so I'm just, I'm just a college pastor, but I don't care. You can like... I'll do it. Yeah, I'll, I'll preach. So I got the opportunity. The Haitian church is so very different. Uh, 
Haitian church, it's like it's, there's, no, there's no structure to it. The pastor gets up there for a while and he'll talk and he'll, he'll, he'll have a sermon for a little while and then they'll, they'll have, hey, they'll come up to the pastor and they'll say, hey, so-and-so wants to come and sing. Like, hey, you know what? So-and-so is going to sing a song for us. Okay, y'all ready? All right. And they would just start singing, you know, and the people start singing along with them. And then they would go down and sit down for a minute, and then the worship leader come up, and he'd say, okay, let's all sing this song together. And they would sing this song together. And the pastor would come up, and he'd read another passage out of Psalms. And, they, you know, I mean, that's what church was like. It was, there was no, it was not orchestrated in any way. They just had church. They just worshiped Jesus. And the pastor's Bible, I, I don't know if he had a full Bible. Creole Bibles are very hard to come by. Haitian Creole is what they speak, and, and Creole Bibles are very hard to come by. His, his Bible, it looked nothing like this. And, it, you know, it, it just it, it, it bothered me. I don't know why this made such an impression on me, but, but my, my Bible at the time, I don't have it on here anymore because it's a different reason. But anyway, my Bible at the time had my name imprinted on, on my Bible. You know, I thought that was something you're supposed to do, so I used to get my name imprinted on there. And, and, and this guy's Bible, man, it was just like, just paper that was just falling apart. And I, I remember, see, I'll never, I will. I'll never forget seeing that pastor take pieces of his Bible and, and have to put it back together. And then he would flip to another and it would fall apart and, and he would have to put it back together as he turned pages. I'll never forget that as long as I live. Here I was, I had a Bible with my name imprinted on it. And his was literally falling apart. The pages would not hold together. They would not stick together. The Holy Spirit of God was with me. I, I got up there and I, I preached a message that God just laid on my heart in the 20 minutes on our way to, uh, on the way to church. Because that's when they asked if anybody wanted to speak. I got up there and I, I preached for a while. And it was an amazing experience. And... The whole time we'd been praying, all right, God, what is it we're supposed to do this week? Show us what we're supposed to do. When the offering time came, another thing I'll never forget is, is they passed this basket around. There was no silver tray, trust me. It was, it was a basket, a woven basket, and people would put fruit in there or they would put two eggs in there because that's what they had to give to God, so that's what they would put in the offering plate. I'll never forget seeing that offering plate passed in front of me and seeing two eggs placed in an offering plate because that's what those people had to give. That's what they gave. And, man, you want to talk about pure worship. These people sang with all of their heart. Everything they had came out in their voices, and they did not care who was sitting beside them. They didn't care the fact that their, their, the benches that they were sitting on were made out of pallets. They didn't, they didn't have any kind of cushion on them whatsoever. I mean, like, like you get splinters from sitting in the benches that they were sitting in. They did not care. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if we sat very much. Because we were just worshiping the whole time. And, and it was just amazing. Some of the most beautiful voices and, and purest voices you've ever heard and it was just a wonderful, wonderful time of worship. I mean, I, I just I, I can't get over the way it was in a Haitian church. And in a Haitian church that we were in, I mean, there was probably maybe fifty people there, maybe, maybe fifty people. 
So we have been praying, God, show us what it is that we're supposed to do. So we go out of the church, the end of the service, and I'm just walking out because we got to get to our, our tap-tap that we had ridden in. A tap-tap is just a, a truck with a cover over the top of it with benches in the back, and that's what you ride around in in Haiti. And I'm walking out, and, I, and this guy comes chasing out. He goes, Pastor, Pastor. And he's speaking English, and, and I just keep walking because I assume he's not talking to me. You know, at that point in time, I was just a college a college pastor. I wasn't like, who? he's not talking to me. So I just keep walking. Pastor, pastor. And finally he grabs my shoulder. I'm like, oh, he's talking to me. Oh, okay. And he says, can you come back behind the church for a minute? There's a lady back here that we want you to meet. She cleans the church and she's a widow. Pure and undefiled religion before God is to care for the orphans and widows and remain unstained from the world. That's the, that's the scripture we were praying over and thinking over the whole time we were preparing to go on our mission trip. And he says, there's a widow that cleans the church and we need you to go and see her house. I don't think that I could have left that place and not gone to see that house. You know what I'm saying? Like, there is no way... Like, I, I think that, that I, would, I would have rather have died than I had, like, not go back to see that lady's house. I was like, it doesn't matter. It can be 40 miles behind the church. I'm going to see the lady's house. So we climb over barbed wire fence. We, we weave our way back behind the church. And to say this lady had a house would be a stretch. It's not what you and I would consider a house. It was, it was block walls that were mostly torn down. And there was kind of sort of some tin that was thrown together that was very rusted and would sometimes keep some of the rain off of her while they slept in the house. In Haiti, it rains quite a bit. And they said, this lady, she's, she's having trouble because it rains a lot in her house. That's basically what they told me. And I said, before we leave this place, that's not going to be the case. Before we leave Haiti, she's going to have a new roof. We went back to the mission house, and I started talking to the host of the mission house. I said, hey, I said, um, he said, I already know what you're going to say. He said, I've already prepared a list of materials that you need to build her roof. I said, that's good. That's good because we weren't going to leave Haiti unless we built her a roof. So it's good that you went ahead and did that because we were going to be here and you're going to have to put up with us for a very long time until we built her a roof. So it's good that you went ahead and did that. He, I said, how much money is it going to take? And he told us about how much money it was going to take. And buying materials in Haiti is not like buying materials here. You can't go down to Lowe's and get stuff. And so we pooled our money together and we gave it to him. Said, okay, you send the Haitians off to go and get the materials. They did that. And, and we spent that week building that lady a roof. Now, the reason we had to build that lady a roof was to keep the rain off of her, right? Well, one of the things that we found out while we were there is that not only was the rain dripping in on her. Her name was Rose, by the way. Um, she was a widow because the Haitian mafia had, like, basically killed her husband is basically what had happened. 
they had lived way off and she had had to flee from the mountains where she had lived and had to come down to where she was now. And the, Rus the Haitian mafia had actually killed her husband and that's the reason she was where she was and the reason she was widowed. She was basically just hiding out behind the church. And we found out that she let her, her kids, her grandkids actually sleep inside the house and she slept outside the house. She slept outside the house on a bench that was about as big as this keyboard right here. She would lean herself up against the wall, and that's how she slept every night. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I can't, in my heart, talk about loving Jesus and then talk to this woman named Rose who cleans the church and she's widowed because her husband got killed. I can't in good conscience, I can't, I can't quench the Holy Spirit enough to let me walk away from that situation and say, we are not going to do anything about this situation. I, I can't just sit there and say, I'm, I'm not going to do anything. You see, when, when the love of Jesus Christ rules and reigns in your life, it has to overflow. That's what makes the love of Christ different than any other kind of love, is that it radiates from you. You see, the, the love of Christ, when, it, when it's inside of you, it pours out onto other people. One of the ways that you will know that you are a Christian is because that love that is inside of you will pour out on other people. Jesus calls it fruit. There is fruit that will come from your life, and it's the overflow of your love for Jesus that will pour out on other people. And he said, they will know that you're one of mine by how you love other people. Now, because Christ loved me and Christ cares for me and because Christ died for me, I could not in good conscience just sit there and say, you know what, Rose, you continue to sleep on that bench outside. We pulled our money together and we said, go find her a mattress. <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know where. In Haiti, you can't just go buy a mattress. It's not like that. But we pulled our money together, and we said, okay. All right, guys. And we're talking to our, our translators, and we're like, we got to go get her a mattress. And they're like, we'll be right back. <laughs> so they go off in a truck, and they come back with a box spring and a mattress. And I tell you all this because I want you to have perspective of what it's like in Haiti. When they came back with the box spring and the mattress, they're covered in plastic, right? Because they're brand new. So this is awesome, you know? Our natural human, well, I say human. Our natural American mind is this. Well, we need to take the plastic off the mattress, right? That's the way we would think. You're not going to sleep on a mattress that's got plastic on it. That's not the way it is in Haiti. I said, guys, we don't need to take the plastic off the mattress if she wants the plastic off the mattress, she'll take the plastic off the mattress. But she may want the plastic on the mattress so the mattress won't get wet, so the mattress will last a little longer. We can't think like an American here. We've got to think. We've got to let them do what they do and allow them to do what they need to do. We have this tendency sometimes to impress upon other people what we think they need as opposed to just listening to them about what it is that they need. 
And here this lady, we were giving her a mattress, so I said, let's just give her the mattress. She can do what she wants to with it. And we put it up on cinder blocks. That's how we, that's how, they actually came back with a box spring and a mattress, which was, we were just astounded by the fact that they were able to get both. And they came back with a box spring and a mattress. We had to set it up on cinder blocks is how we had to set it up. We spent the rest of the week building a, a roof for Rose. I'll never forget how fulfilled I felt, sweating. I was dirty. I was nasty. It was dangerous because we were up on top of a roof. We could have fallen off. There was rusty nails everywhere. The way they construct stuff in Haiti is just, it's just haphazard. It's whatever they have. They just, they just construct stuff with whatever they have. They have rebar just folded over stuff. and I mean, it's, everything's rusty and nasty and Man, you could just, you could have tetanus in a second. I mean, it, and I'm looking at this and I'm going, man, I'm up on top of this roof and I am sweating to death and there is nowhere in the world I'd rather be than right here. Nowhere I'd rather be than right here. And I'll, I'll never forget. I will never forget when we got inside Rose's house and we held hands with her and we prayed for her and for her grandchildren. And we, we just, she had to hug each and every one of us. And she would hug us and she kissed us on the cheek and told us that she loved us. I will never forget that as long as I live. I tell you that story to tell you that in, in, in 2019 as we do something, we're going to go back to Haiti in 2019. See, when you do something and it's founded in love, you don't know what the ramifications are going to be down the road. You don't know how it's going to affect things down the road. It's like this snowball effect with Jesus. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that, that, that once you start something and it's rooted in Jesus... And it's this fruit. Jesus says, I will give you fruit and I will give it more abundantly, that it will multiply. It'll give you, you'll have more fruit than you can even imagine that you'll have. Because what happens is, it's like the snowball effect. It starts and it starts rolling downhill and it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. Back in 2013, when I took a bunch of 20-somethings to Haiti, I had no idea that, that several years down the road we would have a church and we'd be committed to going to Haiti over and over and over again to love people and to share in the gospel and, and for our love for Jesus to pour over into those people. It, it's continued to go out, and now we've got people that are leaving from Simple Church going to other churches, and they're like, we have got to go and we've got to do things in other places like Haiti where they need the love of Christ. And they're going and sharing that message, and it just has this multiplication effect that keeps going on and on and on. And that's what we're supposed to do. That's what love does when it's rooted in Jesus. That's what it does. I want to talk to you for a second about, about Peter. After Jesus had died... You know, Peter was kind of the leader of the group, right, of the disciples. And he, he loved Jesus a lot, but he had denied him three times. We know that, right? He turned his back on Jesus when he said that he wouldn't. He said, Jesus, it doesn't matter if, if, if i got to go to the grave. I'm going to be right there beside you. And then, and then Jesus said, look, Peter, I know you mean well, but 
you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And we know that he did. And I know he must have felt like just demolished. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm sure that he felt like just about this big after Jesus being crucified and just like, I have let Jesus down so much. And I told him that I wouldn't. And Jesus comes back, and Jesus is resurrected, and they see Jesus. And, and, and Peter, I still think, because remember, the Holy Spirit has not come yet. We still haven't gotten to the point where the, the Pentecostal day has happened, the day of Pentecost. And I believe Peter still feels inept to take this message of the gospel of Christ to the world. I believe that he still feels like he's just not got it yet, you know? He's not trusting in that power yet. So he goes back fishing. So he goes back fishing. In John chapter 21, beginning of verse 3, it says this. Peter, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. See, Peter was the leader of the group, and pretty much what Peter did, a lot of them did. So Peter says, I'm going fishing. They go, okay, yeah, I'll go too. He doesn't say, I'm going out to share this message of Jesus and the fact that he's resurrected and come back from the dead. And he came for the purposes of saving our souls and rescuing us. He doesn't say that. Instead, Peter, like a lot of us, says, I'm not capable. I'm not there. I'm going fishing. Going back to what I feel comfortable doing. This is a lot more comfortable. I feel comfortable fishing. I don't feel comfortable sharing Jesus. Look at the effect it has. Did it just affect Peter? Did it just affect Peter? The fact that Peter said, I'm going back fishing? Everybody else says, we'll come too. Man, everybody's looking for a way out, right? One person takes a way out, there'd be a whole crowd of folks following them out. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do what they're doing. That looks a lot easier. I'm going to take the easy way, and I'm going to go that way. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Yeah. Remember Jesus early in his ministry, what, what happened? We've done this before. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. But the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. Oh, how that must have rang in their ears. We've been here. We've done this before. There's a guy that knows where the fish are. Who could that possibly be? Now, remember, remember they fish at night. This is what they did last time. So we're just... Going over, I mean, this is deja vu all over again. They, they, they fish at night because that's the best time to catch fish. They, they've told Jesus before, you don't catch any fish in the morning time. That's not the way you catch fish. And here, what happens? They fished all night. They didn't catch anything. Here's this guy on the shore. Hey, guys, you caught anything? No, we haven't caught anything. Throw your nets on the other side. And it's dawn, right? It's daytime. They're like... Oh, I know who this is. So they did. 
and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish. I think this is, this is Jesus. What, what did Jesus say to them once they came and followed him immediately after this happened the, verse, the first time? What did he say? Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Right? So what is Jesus saying again? Guys, you may feel like you're, you're not capable. You may feel like you've taken the easy way out. You may feel like you're not, you're not going to be able to do this task that is put before you. Come and follow me again, and I will make you fishers of men. Come again. And I mean, this is like a recommissioning. This is like, I know that you feel like it again, but remember. Remember. Then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Who's the disciple? Jesus loves John, right? The writer of this gospel account. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his tunic for he had stripped it for work, jumped into the water, and headed for shore. I don't know why he put on clothes to jump into the water, but he did. Others stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they are only about 100 yards from the shore. Isn't that funny? You would think Peter could have waited till they rowed to shore. No. He's so excited, the fact that Jesus is there, he jumps in the water anyway and starts swimming. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over charcoal fire and some bread. So Jesus is there on the shore. And don't you know the excitement they must have felt? Man, we have, we have seen the risen Savior again. He's come to us again. This time he's making breakfast, even better, right? So they're able to, to sit there with Jesus, whom they, they, they have seen accomplish all these miracles when he walked the earth with them the first time. And they, they, they saw how he was crucified, how he was beaten, how, how he was dead. And they've seen now how he is risen. And now how they're able to communicate with him again. And they're just, I mean, they're able to fellowship with him again. Can you imagine the outpouring of love that must have been around that campfire right there at that time? And just, man, we're able to communicate with the Lord. I mean, again. But Jesus, Jesus says it's great for us to be connected like this. It's great for us to have this time together. But it's, it's about more than this. There's a purpose behind this. Verse 15, it says this. I think he takes Peter to the side here. He says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Do you love me, Peter? Do you really love me, Peter? Is this a full-fledged, full-out, unrestricted kind of love that you have for me, Peter? Do you really genuinely love me with all your heart? Or are you just playing games, Peter? 
Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. See, the English translation is just so poor right here, unfortunately. So Jesus is asking him if he has this agape love, this, this unrestricted, unbound kind of love. He says, yes, you know I love you. Then he says, what does he say? What does Jesus say? Jesus has come back from the dead. He's talking to his men, his guys, and he tells them what to do. What does he say? He says, feed my lambs. This is what's on Jesus' heart. You know what's on Jesus' heart right here? Do you understand what is on Jesus' heart right here? It's you and I. It's you and I. You know how I talked about that snowball effect that happens when, when the outpouring of Jesus' love hits somebody, and then it, then it goes from then, and it hits somebody else, and then it grows, and it hits somebody else? That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here, and it starts with Peter. It starts with Peter. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Jesus actually backs away from that agape love and talks about a love that's more like a friendship. And Peter, I'm sure, is confused. <laughs> yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. I feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. The third time he asked you, maybe this is a reflection for Peter to go back to the three times he denied Christ. Three times he denied Christ, so three times he's got this chance to profess his love for Christ. And this third time, Jesus is asking Peter, literally, do you even like me, Peter? And Peter, I'm sure, is just dumbfounded by the question, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and were able to go wherever you wanted to go. But when you were old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. When Jesus told him, follow me. Follow me. I don't believe you can follow Jesus without loving Jesus. I know that sounds crazy, but do you know that there are some people that are Jesus without loving Jesus? Do you realize that? That there are some people that, that are trying to act like they're Christ followers, trying to act like that they're, they're walking with Jesus every day, trying to make disciples, and they don't really love Jesus. If you don't really love Jesus, we don't need two of you. We need two people that love Jesus. 
Not, not another one that doesn't love Jesus. If you love Jesus, you know what's going to happen? Because you love Jesus, there's going to be an outpouring of your love for Jesus that's going to happen on other people. And people are going to see that. And it's going to be called fruit. There's going to be a love that is inside of you that's going to be undeniable, that is supernatural, and it's from God. And it's going to be an outpouring of God's love. And it's going to hit somebody else. And it's going to be so powerful that it's going to affect them in such a powerful way that it's going to overflow from them into somebody else. When Jesus says, follow me, when Jesus says, you go and, and you, you, come where, you go where I, I, I'm going, and he says to Peter, he says, it's even going to mean your life, Peter. He says, when you were young, you were able to get dressed and go wherever you wanted to. He says, when you're old, they're going to dress you. They're going to dress you in your death clothes, and they're going to lead you to where you do not want to go. They're going to lead you to your upside-down cross, Peter, and you are going to die as a result of following me. Now follow me. If you love me, you say you love me, do you love me? Before, you didn't, you didn't follow me because you were afraid. Peter, don't be afraid anymore. I'm telling you what the consequences are going to be right up front. It's going to be your death. Follow me anyway. If you love Jesus, let me tell you this. If you love Jesus, you will love him to the point of death. Death to yourself. Not caring about yourself. Where you go, what you do, how you're going to die. You will not care about yourself. You're going to care about people like Rose. People that have no house. People that live in broken down walls. And sleep on benches. You're going to care about people like that. If you love Jesus, that's what it's going to look like. If you don't, if you don't love Jesus, you're going to be indifferent to those things. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just telling you that, that, that if there's not a love inside of you that does not overflow to other people, if there is not a love inside of you that is supernatural, how can it possibly be the love of God? How can it be the Holy Spirit of God residing inside of you if it is not a supernatural kind of love that exists inside of you, that drives you to do things you don't want to do, that drives you to do things you never thought you could do? How can it possibly be supernatural? I think we've gotten, we, we've gotten away from real, genuine love of Christ. I think we haven't taught the real, genuine love of Christ. The real, genuine love of God is supposed to be taught. I want you to understand how important it is. And I'm going to read to you from the book of Revelation. The, as, as it is revealed to John, who we just read his, his gospel account, here it is revealed to John what the end of the world will look like when God finally comes to set things right with the world, when the groaning of the world is finally satisfied because Jesus returns, there is a warning letter at the beginning to some churches. And listen to what is said to this particular church in Revelation chapter 2. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is a message from the one who walks 
who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. You do a lot of stuff. I I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You know right teaching from wrong teaching. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. This sounds like somebody who is walking with God. But I have this one complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will, rec- I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. How serious does that sound to you? I'm going to read it again because it's important for us to hear it. But I have this one complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. He's telling the church at Ephesus. It's very serious what I'm talking about. You've done all this stuff. You're doing a lot of stuff, but you don't love me or each other. You don't love me or each other. How important is love to God according to his word? I think it's the most important thing, don't you? Today, you've got a chance. You've got a chance to return to your first love. Jesus brought you here to this place so you could hear his word. God put this word on my heart for you today for that purpose. You have a choice to be able to ignore it, or you have a choice to be able to listen to what God has said to you. God doesn't force you to love him. If he forced you to love him, it wouldn't be true love. He doesn't make a bunch of robots and program you to love him. That's not the way that it works. God made you and created you with this emptiness in your heart. He created you to to have a hole in your heart, and that, that hole is your choice what you choose to fill it with. Some people choose to fill it with drugs or alcohol. Some people choose to fill it with lust. Some people choose to fill it with themselves and fill it with pride. God doesn't force you to love him. God allows you to love whatever you choose to love. But today he's given you the clear black and white and red truth about what it means to follow him. And to follow him is to have the love of Christ within you is that you love him and love his people and the love of him and his people overflows from your heart into the hearts of other people. And that supernatural power of God resides in you. The love of God resides in you. People will be able to see that evidence in your life and you won't look like everybody else. You will look different. You will look set apart. My question to you is this. 
Does your love set you apart? Does the way that you love people, does it look different? Or is it just mundane? Are you just walking around, walking through life, trying to act like a Christian, trying to act like you love Christ, when really the reality is there's no evidence that you do in your life? What does your love look like today? Are you willing to do something in 2019? Are you willing to change the pattern of your life? Are you willing to say, you know what? I'm returning to my first love. I'm going to do the works that I first did, and I'm tired of the way that I used to live. I want to continue to do the things that I first did. Are you willing to make that commitment to him today? Maybe you don't know him. Maybe the reason that his supernatural love doesn't reside in you is because you don't know him. His Holy Spirit doesn't reside in you because you've never accepted him as Lord and Savior. You've never surrendered everything to him and said, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, even if it means giving my whole life to you. If that means I die tomorrow because I said I'm following you, I'm going to follow you anyway. Maybe you've never made that commitment to Jesus. Therefore, the supernatural power of God does not reside in you. You can make that commitment today. You know what you have to do? This, it's, it's really this simple. It's simple, but it's hard. It's simple, but it's not easy. You fall on your face before God and you say, I love you. It's no longer about me, it's about you. I give my whole life to you. Not just, not just my sin and the ugliness and the nastiness and the filthiness. My whole life belongs to you. It is no longer me that lives, but it is you that lives in me. I'll do whatever you want me to do from now on. I give everything to you, and it belongs to you, God. I believe that Jesus, I believe that you died for me. Because of that sacrifice, I'm now clean. Boy, it sounds simple. It sounds simple. But when your life is on the line, it becomes real, real hard, doesn't it? Father, thank you so much, God, for this precious word. I pray that you've spoken to people today. I pray that people would repent and come to you. People that are Christians, God, I pray that they would say, you know what, enough is enough. I'm, I'm tired of my love being shadowed, just being covered up. Lord, I want the light of God to shine through my life. I want the love of Christ, God, to radiate from me and, and to pour out into other people. I want to return to my first love. And for people that don't know you, Father, I pray that you have spoken your love to them, that you have shown that you've died for them. God, that you want your love to radiate from their lives. They can't do it apart from you. They must be tied to the vine. So, Lord, today I pray that they would just come to you. They would come to you. They would die to themselves, and they would come to you and say, Father, forgive me. God, make me new, make me clean, and everything that I have belongs to you. God, you do the work. God, you do the work. And, and Lord, we just want to be your servants. We want to be your ambassadors of love today. And you receive glory from our lives. 